The first reading is taken from the fourth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, starting at the fifth verse. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The Holy Gospel is written in the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the 11th verse. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hard hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Good Shepherd. When Shakespeare creates the character of a shepherd, it's of someone who is earthy, jolly, with a certain wisdom and with straw coming out of his ears. Corin, the shepherd in All's Well, says, Sir, I am but a labourer. I earn what I eat, get what I wear. Owe no man hate, envy no man's happiness, glad of other men's good, content with my harm. And the greatest of my pride is to see my ewes graze 
and my lambs suck. But in the Bible, shepherd carries a very different meaning. Uh, David, initially looking after his uh, father's sheep, where he was but a laborer, uh, becomes the shepherd king of Israel. And in his best-known psalm, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. The people of Israel are his sheep. And hence the king has the same, same pastoral role in relation to his people. Shepherding is part of leadership and should be in the bloodstream of those who have authority. Ezekiel chapter 34 is a condemnation of the unjust shepherds who bully and neglect the flock, and the shepherds are judged accordingly. By contrast, Jesus claims the title of Good Shepherd, and it should be noted that he doesn't merely follow the psalmist and call himself the Shepherd of Israel, but he adds the title which we translate good. Good here means not merely something to do with moral rectitude, but attractive, beautiful. As Tom Wright says, it speaks of the strange, compelling attraction of his love. Listen to the verbs used in Ezekiel 34 about the true shepherd of Israel. He searches for the sheep looks after them, rescues them, gathers them, pastors them, tends them, feeds them, binds up the injured, and strengthens the weak. What an agenda for pastoral care. <clears throat> Jesus is therefore adding to the Old Testament understanding of the shepherd, and he's underlined the contrast between his person and that of the dishonorable and ugly false shepherds of Ezekiel 34. It's possible to exercise leadership in a way which is very unattractive, authoritative, careless, loveless, and in a word, repellent. This kind of leadership induces in the sheep at best indifference and at worst fear or rebellion. They are the hired hands who, when the chips are down and the wolf is at the door, will be motivated by the thought of his own survival rather than the needs of the flock who will see him in the distance running away. But by contrast, the leadership of Christ is attractive. Lifted up on the cross of Calvary, he draws all men to himself by his humility and sacrificial love. The good shepherd finds himself on the cross, having left behind the glory which was his and taken the path of deepest humility, facing death itself for the sake of the sheep who in him find healing and new life. To think of a leader shaped by the parable of the good shepherd is not how the world conceives of leadership. Leadership to the world too often means that most means the exercise of power over others. It's a tool to manage others, whether they be servicemen in the forces or employees or staff in industry, children at school 
or spectators at a football match. Leaders issue orders, get things done. People, for them, are easily thought of as expendable and as not, not mattering individually too much. Leaders have servants to do things for them rather than acting like servants towards others. Not so the Christian shepherd. As Temple says, it's not by what we say <clears throat> that we are good pastors, nor by what we do, but by what we are. There are perhaps four marks of leadership encompassed by the metaphor of the good shepherd. First, the shepherd knows the sheep because they are his sheep and they know him. We've all come across the leader who is remote. His thoughts and priorities are far from the troublesome flock who may have all sorts of needs which might make demands on him or her. The worst shepherds, and we hear of them examples of them almost daily, are those who are indifferent to the sheep or even use their position of power to abuse them for their own gratification. But these happily are few, but there are many who look for their own position and comfort first. To know and be known is a demanding relationship, needing time and effort and commit them. I know them, and they know me, and they know my voice. They know me as a person. They know what I stand for. They encounter me as the one who loves and cares. When they hear the voice of the shepherd, when they sense his presence, his disciples instinctively say, he is my good shepherd. Knowledge is not just about the sheep, but he knows them as individuals, their strengths and the weaknesses, their successes and failures and their needs. And he has known them indeed since their very conception. Secondly, the good shepherd is one who cares sacrificially. Indeed, this shepherd is not only the shepherd, but at the same time is the lamb slain for his people. Because he has lived alongside his sheep, he has experienced the cold and the wet and the hunger and the vulnerability of each and every member of the flock. He shares in their pain and bears their sorrows. This is what distinguishes this shepherd from the hired hand. In some mysterious way, the shepherd absorbs and carries away the pain of the members of the flock. We find it easy to remain unmoved by the suffering of others, but the true shepherd cannot do so. For him, knowledge is turned into care. And thirdly, the true shepherd guards and defends the members of the flock. There is in the flock the weakness of body, the pangs of hunger and thirst, and the wolf is the enemy at the gate. These metaphorically describe the reality of our humanity. Vulnerable and fallible, we so need the presence of this good shepherd and his wisdom and his strength. <clears throat> Temptation in one form or another lurks around waiting for the moment to strike unexpectedly and destructively. Pride and lust and anger and the ego are never far away. Employment may suddenly come to an end with redundancy. 
health which we take for granted may falter, relationships may sour, the future may grow suddenly dark and stormy. But the shepherd is always near. He knows and he cares. And he will be alongside to protect and strengthen if we will turn to him. And fourthly, the good shepherd is concerned about the unity of the flock. I don't know too much about the foibles of a flock of sheep. But I guess that like any other institution, there will be misunderstandings and mistrust, weak and strong, wanderers who go astray and have to be found and brought back, sheep who are not yet part of the flock. In the story of John 10, John expresses concern for the assumption of the sharp dividing line between Jew and Gentile. And Jesus has to contend with this inherited sense amongst his fellow Israelites of priority and power. And the religious leaders, leaders are determined to preserve the differentials and maintain that privileged position. It is God's concern that his gospel will be open to the whole world, to all who are known and cared for and loved by the Father. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. For at the heart of this image of the shepherd and the sheep is the comment that the Father loves the Son and that in that love the Son lays down his life that he may take it again. I am the good shepherd may also be read as I am the loving shepherd. Love surrounds and infuses all he does and seeks to do. I and my Father are one. It's tempting to read a passage such as this and to thank God that we have this glorious revelation of the generous nature of the God we serve, that he is the good shepherd. The image is so far removed from the world of the foreign gods which the people around Israel worshipped, and indeed of the corrupt members of the priesthood who attracted Ezekiel's condemnation. So far indeed from our own society's understanding of human leadership. But we do, of course, give thanks for this and rejoice in it. But we cannot dismiss it as applying only to those with obvious leadership roles. For the whole church to which we belong is called to be shaped by this image, to be Christ-like, to seek to reflect the character of the shepherd Christ in our own lives and in our church. So we need to ask ourselves whether we know one another and care for and protect one another, not superficially, but deeply, whether our caring is indeed sacrificial or self-regarding, whether we are united with Christ and committed to other members of his flock so that we may indeed respect them and care for them and love them, whether love is in the blood which circulates in our beings and gives life and fruit to its parts. Amen.